0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together, we hear how they're making their world better. Social change. When you think about it, it is far more complicated than simply creating a new app. I mean, it requires intentionality, listening, and collaboration. But change is slow, right? If you're a nonprofit leader, you know that. And despite enormous investments of time and money, progress in today's social and environmental challenges can really derail or worse, stall altogether. So my question today is, what if we collectively could exponentially increase our social impact? Well, my guest today is going to speak to that. My guest today is Anne May Cheng, and she is the author of Lean Impact, And she believes we must come up with solutions that are embraced by beneficiaries while addressing root causes and including an engine that can accelerate growth to match the scale of the needs. Now, Anne May Chang has had more than 20 years of experience as a technology executive at such leading companies as Google and Apple, and she's a keynote speaker who has been featured at TEDx, among other venues. I'm really glad to have Anne May Chang on the show today. I think you're going to really enjoy what she has to say. Enjoy today's show. So we have Anne May on the phone calling in from San Francisco. Anne, it's great to have you on the show. And I understand you have a new book out called Lean Impact. So first of all, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, talk about what prompted you to write this book and what do you hope to inspire in those who read it?
1: Sure. So, you know, I spent most of my career in Silicon Valley in the tech sector over 20 years working at big and small companies. Um, And then about seven years ago, made a pivot in my career to spend the second half of my career in the public and social sector, working on things that, um, ways to make the world a better place, um, something that felt a little bit more meaningful. And so it's been a really interesting journey for me, sort of kind of living and breathing the world of Silicon Valley and going into a very different world of social good. And what I found is that there is incredible passion and dedication um, and good work being done. And also that it, it, it's a sector that isn't moving as fast as it could in terms of, you know, the, the world is just changing at a faster and faster pace. And I think that there, the problems are not getting any smaller. In fact, I think in many ways they're getting more complicated and bigger. Um, and there's a lot of things that I think we can learn from the best practices of innovation that really have come out of Silicon Valley but been adopted and refined across business and government and otherwise that could really help us – deliver dramatically greater social impact at dramatically greater scale.
0: That sounds good. And, and I know when you go about doing research for a book, there's a, a quite a process that you go through. Maybe talk about that process a little bit of how you uh, went about gathering your research and reporting on the data. And what did you find?
1: Yeah. So, you know, some of my research just came from my work. Uh, since I left uh, Google to come in to focus on global poverty, um, I had worked at this. I was lucky to work at the State Department, uh, international NGO called Mercy Corps. And then most recently, I was a chief innovation officer at U.S. USAID. And through the work that I did in all these different organizations, I got to learn both about the work of my own institution, but also about the work of the um numbers of partners of ours who were doing phenomenal work, and it was incredibly inspiring to me, um, you know, during my time at USAID in particular, and so, you know, that was sort of the start of my research in a way. I didn't realize I was doing research for my book, but I was learning a lot along the way working at these different um, institutions, and so when I left USAID, um, I was really inspired to look at how, you know... to to build on what I had learned at USAID and learn more about what other folks were doing and and just see what the, you know, what the bleeding edge was in terms of innovation in the social sector. And so I asked all the smartest people I knew who were in various different uh, aspects of the sector, you know, who were the organizations that they most admired and um, that were doing the best work? And I sought them out and talked to them. In the course of the research, I ended up interviewing um, over 300 people from over 200 different organizations. Um, and those organizations ranged from nonprofits to social enterprises to, you know, kind of triple bottom line companies to foundations to government to impact investors. So, sort of anyone who was really trying to focus on a way to do more good in the world.
0: I love it. And it's obvious that you've had a lot of different experiences, and I'm glad you've stated that, uh, both in the for-profit sector, of course, and the nonprofit sector. And so as you put together all this research and you gathered the data, what are some of your key findings? And perhaps share with us what surprised you the most as experts on how these nonprofits really broke through that next level of effectiveness?
1: Yeah, so it was really interesting when I went around talking to different organizations and seeing the ones that were most successful and what they had in common – and there were two things that that i found in particular that was really interesting one is that the the most successful organizations really thought big they you know were really audacious in the goals they set they were stretching themselves to deliver things that they weren't sure how they're going to get to in the end um and they started small they You know, tried to, they were humble and experimented, knew they didn't have all the answers and knew that what was important was to figure out the best path to get there. Um, And what was surprising is that this is actually rare in the social sector um, that, you know, more often organizations tend to think small and start big. And this isn't because we don't care, we're not ambitious in terms of what we want to do, but I think it's because of the structure of the sector, that there's a lot of – the the way that nonprofits in particular tend to think is based. they plan based on constraints, the constraints of the dollars that they have, the staff that they have, the size and scope of a grant that they might be applying for, um, and they look at what is it that I could do with with these existing resources? On on the other hand, you know, what, what the really successful organizations I saw did was look at it from the perspective of the needs. Like, you know, what is the actual need in the world that has to be addressed? You know, who are the people that could benefit? And how am I going to actually address that need? And so it's looking at it from the other way around.
0: That's really interesting. And I'm glad you talked about your experience a bit because you really have had a lot of experience in both the for-profit sector as well as the nonprofit sector. From all of your experience and research, one of the focus areas of your book is to encourage your readers to the relentless pursuit of impact. I love that phrase, the relentless pursuit of impact. Now, what do you mean by that exactly? And how does that work for nonprofit leaders to apply to their organizations? You
1: know, in the for-profit sector, There's there's a structure and there are incentives to relentlessly pursue profit. You know, in our laws, even, or our regulations, um, in the company structures, companies are required to maximize shareholder value. But that doesn't hold true in the social sector so much that we, in theory, should be maximizing impact. But there's so many pressures that cause us to do otherwise, Um, you know, whether it's because there's pressing needs in the world. And so we're really trying to solve the immediate problems and not able to think longer term, or if it's because um, we have funders who are um, you know, not willing to take risks um, and really looking for the sort of immediate results. And so we end up, I think, often thinking much shorter term and foregoing kind of a longer term impact more often than not. And and I think one of the ch- um, things that I think is important also as a mindset shift is for us to fall in love with the problem and not your solution. And what I mean by that is too often we get excited about, you know, we have, you know, I have this particular approach, this particular product, this particular technology, or even a particular organization, and I'm trying to figure out a way to have that make a difference versus looking at it from the other way, which is what's the problem in the world and what's the best way to get there. And a lot of times where you start from is not where you end. That's certainly something I found in Silicon Valley in the work that we did um, building products is that, you know, a lot of times what you thought was the product people wanted didn't end up being that way. And the key thing to lean startup and lean impact is trying to figure that out as soon as possible. Um, If I can give you one example A lot of times people think about innovation as, you know, some flashy new product. And in this example, there's a 700-year-old invention that can improve people's productivity as well as their learning potential, but that hasn't reached two and a half million people who could benefit, and that's eyeglasses. And so a nonprofit or social enterprise called VisionSpring set out to to tackle this problem, and I think they're a great example of relentlessly pursuing impact because they saw the big problem and the big opportunity. They started out as many nonprofits would by setting up shop, going out. and in, the, in their case, they um, brought in a bunch of vision entrepreneurs who went out to uh, to rural areas in El Salvador and in India, and sold low-cost glasses to people in these areas who never had access to uh, corrective lenses before. And, you know, they had some great success stories of people whose lives were transformed. But they also stepped back to recognize that even though they had some great successes, that they were losing money for every pair of glasses that they sold. And they would never be able to scale to the size of the need that way. And so they pivoted. They shifted their model to a hub-and-spoke model where they would set up uh, vision centers in more urban areas and sell higher-end, more expensive glasses to people who could afford them and use the profits to cross-subsidize outreach to rural areas. And this allowed them to get to a point where they're financially sustainable, which is a big step forward. But it still wasn't enough because trying to build out the infrastructure of these vision centers around the world would have taken decades. And so they pivoted again and they decided to partner with other existing organizations that had networks already set up. Um, one example was BRAC in Bangladesh is a, a large nonprofit that has a community healthcare worker network that spans the whole country, you know, sort of every corner of the country, they have a community healthcare worker. and. By working through them, they added eyeglasses to their basket of goods that they could offer. And, you know, the community health workers were able to offer better services to their customers. And Spring was able to get these eyeglasses to a lot more people. And together um, with BRAC, they've now been able to distribute over a million pairs of eyeglasses. And with additional partners, they've been able to get up to four and a half million total. Now, that sounds like a big number for in the nonprofit space, four and a half million. But they still weren't satisfied with that. And, in fact, they they pivoted once again and said, hey, four and a half million is great, but it's still well short of two and a half billion. So we're going to have to look at this from a more systemic standpoint. Um, You know, there's market failures that are causing companies not to uh, produce low enough cost eyeglasses or distribute them to places in need. And, And there's governments that are not including eye care as part of their social services. And so they created um, a new nonprofit called the Alliance, that's a public-private partnership that um, brings together the private sector, government, nonprofits towards this broader goal. Um, of, of through collective action, and a big uh, initial win for them was that they worked with the government of Liberia to sign an MOU to integrate um, eye exams and, and eyeglasses into the community healthcare n- network of the country of Liberia, as well as into the public schools. And so now you can see this spreading across the country, and it's a model that um, is very promising to look at um, for other countries and around the world.
0: Hey, everybody. Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. Now, I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, We want to give you more content. And we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. That's a great example. I mean, talk about a great nonprofit that is relentlessly pursuing their impact. They're certainly doing that. And I love the key word you kept using, pivoting. It was obvious to me that they kept pivoting so that they could actually increase their impact of their nonprofit organization. There's no doubt that they were able to scale their impact in an oppressive way. That's a a great example. Now, as you think back to your book now, what kind of key data and information are nonprofit leaders, and, and for that matter, social entrepreneurs, what are they going to discover in your book that will really help them grow their organizations?
1: None of this is rocket science. The Lean Startup and Lean Impact are very much based on the scientific method. So it's really about setting an audacious goal and then measuring your progress towards that goal. You know, one of the the big challenges that we um, that, that I see is that we tend to focus on what, we, what Eric calls in the Lean Startup vanity metrics, which are tend to be absolute numbers of the number of people that we've reached or the dollars that we've raised. So if you look at any nonprofit website, you'll often see. You know, data says we've touched this many lives or we've improved this many lives or we've you know, trained this many people. And these absolute numbers don't actually tell you very much. What they tell you is what activity you've done, but it doesn't tell you whether you've done any good. You know, you could have trained or reached a million people, but did you make a difference in their lives? Are their lives better as a result? Um, And I would say even if their lives are better as a result, um for the, the the dollars and effort that you spent to do it, could another organization have reached more people or had greater impact? You know it, are you the most cost effective option out there? And even if you're the most cost effective option out there, um are you do you have an engine for growth that will allow you to reach all of the people who might benefit? And so, what's much more meaningful than these absolute numbers, which which can be gained and it just indicates that you did something, not that you did good, Um, is to use what what Eric calls actionable metrics or innovation metrics. And these are metrics at the unit level that tell us, you know, for each hundred people that you reached, what happened? You know, how much did it cost? What was your success rate? What percentage of them changed their behavior? What percentage of them got jobs? What percentage of them came back? Um, these kind of unit metrics, if you can optimize for them, have incredible leverage. That is, you reach more people. If their prices, um, if your costs go down and your um, success rate goes up, you're going to make a greater and greater impact over time. And so, what's important is to focus on, you know, identify the key levers, those those metrics that matter, and focus relentlessly on optimizing those those metrics to be as Positive as possible, so that as we grow and as we scale and as we reach more people, we have a greater, greater impact.
0: Uh, It's really good to know that. And you've done a lot of research, obviously, and you've covered a lot of different people through all the interviews you made. Um, I would guess that you may have found or uh, run across or discovered some national and global trends. Um, So let me ask that uh, from your research through this book, what are some of the national and perhaps even global trends in terms of startup successes and how effective nonprofits can exponentially increase their impact?
1: no i didn't i didn't do an extensive enough survey to have sort of aggregate data because i think there's a huge world of um, organizations out there doing uh, doing really good work in a number of different sectors and and it would be fascinating to see sort of what that data looked like but one of the trends that i that i did observe is that in talking to these organizations um you know, in the past, what we, we, we would really look to nonprofits to be doing good and for-profit companies to be making money. And today, what I found is that more and more for-profit companies are trying to also do good and nonprofits are trying to find sustainable business models because it'll help them scale. And so, what's fascinating to me is some of the most innovative and exciting work that's happening is happening in that sort of intersection between the two. Um, a, a company, an organization, may be organized as a nonprofit and making. Um, you know, some earning revenues or it may be organized as a for-profit and really mission oriented. And and a lot of times I, I've found organizations that look very, very similar in the work that they do, but one's a for-profit and one's a non-profit. And so I think it's a really interesting trend that as we um, look at what social good is going to look like going forward, that is no longer the unique domain of non-profits, but it's becoming a more and more hybrid space as people's consciousnesses have have evolved and people want to be doing good with, um, their work, their time, their investments and what they buy.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting. We've had other guests on the show that have talked about that, that there is this blending, if you will, between nonprofits and social entrepreneurships where there is much more overlap than probably ever. Um, so perhaps you can talk about that. You know, what is your thought about the long-term impact for either social entrepreneurs on one hand or nonprofit leaders, or maybe both if they're able to follow the principles outlined in your book?
1: So I I think at the end of the day, the reason that we should innovate is to drive greater impact. In in fact, a a colleague of mine says, you know, innovation is the path, but impact is the destination. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, because innovation has become such a hot buzzword that everybody's trying to say they're innovating or doing something that sounds innovative. And it can be innovation for innovation's sake. And so I've seen a lot of you know pilots and hackathons and contests out there that that make a big splash but don't necessarily lead to much. Instead, I think um the reason to innovate is to get to greater impact and greater scale. Um and and again, it's not rocket science, but it's really applying some basic principles of, you know, being ambitious enough and taking the risks to try to achieve something that isn't possible with business as usual. I think the The foundation of innovation is really it's innovation springs up when you have a goal that is impossible to reach with business as usual. Because if you can do what you're doing today or do it just slightly differently and reach your goals, there's no reason to take the risk. There's no reason to think out of the box. But when you're trying to do something that is um, more audacious and and that you don't know how to get there, that's where you have to really start experimenting and start taking some risks. Um, and, and I think those risks really pay off. You know, I've just seen organizations who are able to dramatically increase their impact, but then also dramatically increase their scale. And I think at the end of the day, the point of innovation is to, you know, improve our society, our, our planet, the people um, in to the degree possible to, you know, allow everyone to thrive on, on this planet.
0: Well, you know, we said at the outset that social change is far more complicated than just simply creating a new app. And with all your research and all your work, and you again, you've seen a lot of different um, aspects through the for-profit and non-profit world. And now that you put this book together, um, what's your sense of hope? I know that's kind of a subjective term, but do you have hope that social change is happening more rapidly and we're able to reach even more people around the world, particularly when it comes to the, the global um, issues that we face that are really, really big issues, whether it be hunger, clean water, you name it. Um, Do you feel like you have more hope now because the social change is more uh, readily available for organizations and or corporations that are having these social entrepreneurships being more successful? What's your take on kind of the future of uh, where we are in this world?
1: Um, I'm very hopeful. I'm hopeful in part because of the inspiring people I interviewed and organizations I interviewed for my book that there are people out there who are blazing the path and showing incredible results. And that gives me hope. I'm also hopeful because as a society I think that we care more and more about um, our society and about the planet in the and everything that we do and I think that that intention is is going to drive a lot more social good and third I think that the tools are are now increasingly out there um, both in terms of methodology like Lean startup Um, as well as the technology tools that allow us to much more quickly, accurately, and, um, and cheaply capture data that will allow us to learn and iterate more quickly.
0: Well, Anne May, that is wonderful. It's so interesting to hear your insights on this. Again, my guest today, Anne May Cheng, She has more than 20 years' experience as a technology executive at such leading companies as Google and Apple, and she's a keynote speaker who's been featured at 10X, among other venues. Anne May, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, thanks so much for calling in today. And if people want to find out a little bit more about you, about your book, where would you send them?
1: Yeah, well, we have a website. It's called www.leanimpact.org. Um, so come there and you can find out all about the book as well as myself.
0: And May, thanks again for being on the show today. Keep up the good work.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a lot of fun.
0: You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, Robharter.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.